Um, should I bring up the Super Bowl or should I not bring up the? No, you shouldn't. Okay. Yeah, that should. You should just probably tiptoe away from that. You, you probably already shouldn't have brought that up. <laughs> <laughs> we off to a bad start. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. This is terrible. <laughs> Hey folks, let me tell you about Scott Barlow. Um, Scott is the son, grandson, nephew, and great-grandson of public school teachers, a graduate of the public school system, and was recently elected to serve on Richmond's school board in 2016. He now represents the city's second school district. Um, in addition to his service on the board, Scott serves on the boards of two regional schools, the Maggie Walker Governor School and the newly formed Code RBA, which is an innovative new um, high school in Richmond that focuses on coding. Um, after graduating from law school, Scott moved to Richmond um, and is now an attorney for a software company. We're in that building right now. It's a really cool open space. Um, Scott's a longtime advocate for public schools, having witnessed his family's service in the public school system. Um, avid Atlanta Falcons fan. Did I miss anything? No, I think that just about sums up my life. That's it? Yeah. All right, Scott, what is the purpose of public schools? Our public school system should be designed to make sure that every member of our society has access to, to a quality education. Um, so on the, the more micro level, I think it's about ensuring that we're providing uh, our youth uh, with the skills and with the knowledge to survive in our society and hopefully become productive members of our society. Um, and then on the macro level, I think it's about making sure that we can uh, have uh, members of our society who are productive, who uh, can contribute to our, our workforce and to our cultural achievements, and, uh, and hopefully have um, you know, some, some uh, level of uh, ethical responsibility to their, to their fellow uh, members of society. And I think uh, investment in public education um, is important, you know, mm -hmm. uh, if, if we want to make sure that every student has access to a quality education and has access to the ability to, to get exposed to different ideas and, and interests uh, so that they can, um, you know, channel their uh, intelligence and efforts and energies into, uh, into whatever endeavors they, they take on in life. Mm -hmm. so. What does a quality education look like to you? I think a quality education, to, to me, I think it, it means opportunities for students to get exposed and can be conversant in different ideas and sciences. Um, uh, I think a, a quality public education or quality educational system allows, uh, allows for students um, to engage their curiosities and uh, is really um, driven around uh, creating a passion for learning students or fostering a passion for learning for our kids. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of that is innate in, uh, in the life of any child or person. Um, so uh, to the extent that our public school system can engage that mm -hmm. uh, and you know, uh, provide uh, opportunities for all of our students to, um, to explore different passions and, and hopefully on, and a more rudimentary level to at least be able to um, be functional in our society, as I alluded to earlier, you know, be able to do uh, math at the checkout line uh, and have a, an idea of the history of our country and our society so um, they can be uh, 
engaged and informed citizens. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so there's an element to it that's uh, training for future careers, but also an element of just being informed and exposed to different perspectives that may otherwise be unfamiliar unless you get a chance to be exposed to different kinds of people. Right, and, and I think allowing or teaching students to, to be able to, um, to discern between different types of information that they're receiving you know, having critical thinkers, especially as we're being exposed to information from all different angles that uh, may have varying degrees or levels of truth to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's more and more important that we have critical thinkers in, in an era where we're exposed to so much information. Yeah. There's a number of challenges facing public schools. Um, what do you see as um, maybe not the biggest challenge facing public schools, but something that you're um, particularly paying attention to? Well, uh, serving in a, in a district like Richmond's, I'm, I'm very cognizant of poverty and trauma uh, in, in our school systems. We, we have a, a district that is a high poverty school district. We do have a lot of students. We do have concentrated poverty, and, and uh, we know that uh, many of our students, because they're growing up in high poverty situations, they may have additional stressors in their life, mm-hmm. uh, in their lives for one reason or another. And, uh, so I think it, I'd really like to see investment in trauma-informed uh, approaches to uh, educating our students. Um, generally, investment, uh, and when I say that, I don't only mean financial investment, but I also mean buy-in from our society, buy-in from the leaders of our country and our cities and our states uh, to show that they value uh, public education is important. I don't think that we're seeing that to the extent that we'd like to, and now I think even on the, the national level, we're seeing some... Uh, some challenges to the idea, uh, or to the, I guess, the foundational beliefs of what a public edu- education system should be about. And with that, I think, just community support for public education generally. I, I'm really encouraged by the number of people that I see getting involved in the school districts, even if they don't have a, a direct tie-in to the school. They don't have a student there, or they're not a teacher in, in, a, in a school. And I'd like to see more um, more volunteerism uh, and just a greater appreciation for the value of public education. Mm-hmm. You feel like people tend to have some sort of a, a vested interest in some way in public education, at least at least being thoughtful about what's going on, or at least interested in what's happening, um, but that there's not always the necessary investment to be able to really support our public schools the way that they need. Yeah, and you know, sort of going back to the purpose of public schools, we're talking about it on the macro level, I think we all benefit from having an educated population mm-hmm. in, in more ways than one. So we really should have uh, sort of, uh, I don't want morality to play into it, but a moral or an ethical uh, approach to mm-hmm. our, the development of our public schools. And, and we really should be, that should be our, one of our main priorities, if not our main priority as a society, in my opinion. The discussion of trauma-informed care in our school district, in particular, has uh, has been increasing. I think a lot of people are sensitive to that here in Richmond. Uh, our mayor's office and city council and school board have been talking about establishing and have now established an education compact with design to uh, build some more wraparound services for our children in the school district, because we recognize that our that, that we live in a, a high poverty city. Um, and so these are, these are some efforts to help address that, but a lot of it comes down to making sure that our students can have the opportunity uh, to learn and um, in situations where, where you have uh, 
uh, many students with trauma, it, it can impede our, our goals yeah. in that regard. You're trying to be responsive to the needs of the population that you have here in Richmond. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. You've, you've talked about some of the decisions you've been making uh, on the school board here locally. How is it that um, research informs the decisions that you make in trying to improve public education locally? Research is critical for, uh, for policymakers uh, when discussing public education. I certainly like to do as much research as possible and gather from different sources and, and uh, you know, I'm reading a lot uh, online when, and off hours in order to, uh, to learn about you know, what, what's going on in the world of public education uh, because there's so much to learn from the experiences of other communities and, uh, and even from doing a deep dive on what's going on in our own. Uh, so I think good policy making has to be rooted in, uh, in good research. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, we're kind of, uh, you know, flying blind. What ways are you able to access the research that you need to make the decisions that you need to make uh, on the school board? Well, you know, my favorite way to research uh, is to talk to experts. So I really like to engage with uh, people who are making a career out of being public educators uh, or being invested in public education. So I do like to talk to professors, like professors at VCU. I do like to talk to our teachers about their understanding of what's going on in the classroom. I certainly talk to uh, to my family members who are teachers about their experiences. Uh, but, you know, we, we talked earlier about being sort of in the information age, and I'm lucky to have access to uh, studies and, you know, articles and news about what's going on in the in the education realm all the time so uh, so I like to if, I, if we're dealing with a particularly hairy topic or if I want to see how uh, other localities have addressed certain challenges in their school district then I'll, I'll do some digging online but mm-hmm. oftentimes uh, I like to talk to people who are making a, a career out of that or, or devoting a lot of their time to it to get their perspectives too yeah I think what's really important about what you just said is that when somebody thinks about Research, they might just think about the academic side or the scholarship side of that of people who um, work at universities that, that engage in empirical work. But what you're talking about is um, considering that perspective, but also considering how we have teachers and other educational practitioners locally that have a wealth of expertise and understanding where they're coming from and their perspective on things, that is also research. Is yes. that right? In my opinion, yes. Um, it, it's not something that I've maybe consciously considered research probably until this discussion because I, you know, when my mom was a teacher, I'd hear what was going on in the classroom. When her friends would come over, I'd know what was going on in the classroom uh, and at their schools. And uh, my, my experience with the public education system and my passion for it is really rooted in that in a lot of ways because I had the opportunity to go to some really fantastic public schools in the, in the suburbs of Atlanta, mm-hmm. and my mother was teaching in, uh, you know, in high poverty schools in southern Atlanta, and I saw uh, some real disparities between how those schools were treated, treated from a political standpoint, you know, from their funding, but also uh, the culture of those schools, the amount of community buy-in, and things of that nature. So, uh, so I think I've always been informed by the perspectives of teachers, um, because uh, I learned so much from from uh, seeing what was happening in the public school system as a kid and from being surrounded by teachers all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so my approach to governance often involves uh, being in touch with, uh, with our experts who are on the ground level. And uh, I'm not sure that we always do a great job uh, 
in the public education system of listening to our teachers. Mm -hmm. uh, they are professionals who studied uh, their craft and are uh, exercising their craft. And a lot of times we see top-down approaches to policy making that, that don't always make sense when you're hitting the ground level. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the key takeaways I've had from my time working in public education and my time with Merck is that teachers know what they're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. You should probably absolutely. listen to them. Um, Scott, talk about the recent work of the Richmond City School Board. What challenges have you faced? What steps have you taken to support the students and teachers here in Richmond Public Schools? Sure. Well, it's, it's been a, a whirlwind of a year so far for us. Uh, we're largely a new board, so uh, we have nine board members who were not on the board this time last year. And uh, one, one of our board members has served on uh, the board in the past, but at this point it's uh, to a large degree been information overload for us, especially because we stepped into uh, to the school year or to, to our terms on the board in the middle of the budget process. Um, so if you want to learn about the workings of a school district, it's, uh, it's an ideal time <laughs> to step in because you're learning about all the, all the expenses and all the costs associated with running a school district. Uh, justifying where certain dollars are spent. We had an idea of what our staffing needs looked like. Uh, but at the same time, it's a very difficult time to come in uh, as a member of the school board because we were making some very impactful decisions very early on in our term. Mm -hmm. uh, so that was a, the, a big first piece with us. And uh, we didn't only learn about the school district, but we also learned uh, how to navigate the political process in, in Richmond. And the fact that we really need to have buy-in from our mayor and we need to have buy-in from our members of council uh, and uh, they have a very important role in balancing the interests of our city with that of our, uh, of our children and of our school system. Uh, my advocacy during the budget process largely centered around making sure that we were putting together uh, the budget that was best optimized to support our students. Mm -hmm. And uh, to me, that meant that we needed to identify any needs within reason that we could and advocate for the funds to accomplish uh, the programming needs to make sure we had a nurse in every school building, um, to make sure that we had foreign language and adequately uh, funded um, athletic programs and arts. And uh, in some ways, we're not there yet. I'm, I'm hoping that over the next few years, we'll be uh, advocating uh, for those needs. And uh, that sort of ties into when you're talking about the interplay between the different levels of our, our local government. Uh, that, that sort of brings me to our education compact, which is something that I mentioned earlier. Um, all of us who ran for office last year, from our mayor through city council and the school board, all had uh, platforms that were based around supporting our, our public education system here in Richmond. Mm -hmm. And uh, we saw a lot of public outcry last year, the year before, and we've seen it with our activist community. We've seen it with our parents and teachers who've been coming to city council meetings and school board meetings to advocate for more funds for our school district uh, and more resources for our school district. Um, that sort of came to a head in 2015. And people really are demanding more investment in the school system. So uh, all of us took notice when we were running. And uh, one, one way that we've gone about trying to, uh, to support that is by making an effort between all, all these different bodies to collaborate with one another. So that, that started off with uh, this education compact. You know, after having discussions with, uh, with the mayor's office and council, uh, the compact document ended up changing. It largely uh, ended up, uh, rather than talking about specifics, 
with regard to academic performance. It, it is largely centered around how, uh, how each of these bodies work together to, to identify needs and to identify strategies for, for a more successful school district. Mm-hmm. What we're also involved in now, in addition to um, working on how our, 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 uh, we, we work with our counterparts on the various levels of, uh, of our city's government, is trying to find a quality leader for our school district mm-hmm. and to be realistic about the expectations that we're setting for that person and the support that we're going to be putting in place for that person. Uh, so, so we're involved in the superintendent search process right now, and I think that we'll be uh, getting a better idea in the coming months of what our a leader, who our leader may be, and what that leader may look like. Um, but so, in the in the midst of everything that we're going through, we're also going through that search process, and I'm I'm optimistic. I think that we're going to be able to find with as many committed teachers as we have in our school district, and as many committed. Uh, administrators as we have in our school district, I'm optimistic that we'll find a, a great person to, to serve at the helm of our school district. Mm-hmm. What do you see as the future of public schools? Uh, well, that's, that's a really tough one. Uh, and, you know, I think uh, that, that we're, we're uh, as a country, we're doing some soul-searching about what public education means to us. And at least I feel like I am. <laughs> uh, but we're seeing, uh, we're seeing some challenges to the public education system. I'm concerned about the proliferation of, uh, of for-profit entities getting involved in our school districts and our school systems and uh, for-profit charters and things of that nature. So uh, I, I think we really owe it to our communities and to our students to have quality public education options for everyone. So I'm hoping that as we see some challenges to our public education system coming from the national level, that we'll be keeping that in mind in our states and our communities, and we'll be doing what we can to bolster support for public education. But that's something from a political lens that I'm very uh, concerned about. And then another piece is, uh, and I alluded to it earlier, how do we prepare students for a life in the information age? And uh, to be critical thinkers in a time where it's very important to be critical thinkers. but also we have to be exploring how technology impacts the public school system. And I think there are a lot of great ways that we can incorporate technology in the classroom and in learning in order to provide a quality education. And uh, having been uh, the beneficiary of, uh, of Math Blaster coming out when I was a kid mm-hmm. and basically learning how to multiply, add, and, and uh, divide, and subtract from uh, playing a little video game, I appreciate that, that there's a role for technology and certainly when it comes to research, uh, but at the same time, the, the human connection that students feel with their teachers and with their schools is extremely important, mm-hmm. and uh, teaching students to, uh, to thrive emotionally and uh, while interacting with uh, one another is as important as it has ever been. Uh, so I think that uh, as we explore technology, we really have to balance that uh, with, with uh, the emotional quotient of our students as well to make sure that we're not uh, we're not losing the human impact in in the, this transition. Uh, Scott, thanks for your time and perspective and for your service to the second district and to the students of Richmond Public Schools. We're grateful. Thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you.